0: We really don't hold back behind closed doors, do we, Whitney?
1: No, of course not. I mean, as you said, we don't really hold back most of the time. But when you put us behind closed doors, I mean, it is a game changer.
0: The gloves and everything else comes off.
1: That's right. And so to let you guys know, if you want more of this content, check us out. It's bit.ly slash. T-S-W-L, like True Sex and Wild Love, behind closed doors. And that's where you can sign up for the subscription and get all kinds of goodies.
0: See you there. Hey, everybody. Whitney and I hope that you will enjoy this very special episode of True Sex and Wild Love about abortion. Abortion without apology. Abortion without pandering. Abortion without regrets. We talk about Roe v. Wade Recent legislation that attempts to make an end run around it and restrict women's access to abortion, and the recent surprise Supreme Court ruling that protected Roe v. Wade. In part of this podcast, we get really personal about our own sexual histories and reproductive choices, and we put that behind closed doors. So have a listen to the first 10 or 15 minutes, and if you want to hear more, and you're not already a subscriber to Behind Closed Doors. Get it because that's where all the juicy content lives. And let us know what you think.
1: All right, guys. There's been a whole lot going on in our world today. I mean, we have a worldwide pandemic going on. I mean, I'm in Texas, so mm-hmm. <laughs> it's getting even crazier here. Everything's starting to shut back down, which oh. I figured that we you know, expected. Texas, um, you're doing a shitty
0: job Wear your mask.
1: Oh my God,
0: I know. You know what, California California also doing a shitty job. Did you have to go to the beaches on Memorial Day weekend? Look what you did. Hey, Arizona, get your shit together. Put on a mask, stand six feet apart. It's called science. It'll save your life. Pull it together, (laughs) people.
1: Yeah, so we have all of this going on. We have these protests going on. And there's a lot of new laws and bills that are – Coming up out of freaking nowhere, at least it seems like to me. And I just don't know what to think about it. So, Wednesday, help me out here. Can you tell me what's going on with this Louisiana abortion law? What's happening with Roe versus
0: Wade? What happened in Tennessee? We were talking about this, right? So, there was this unexpected five to four decision on the Supreme Court. They struck down this 2014 Louisiana law that basically attempted to block women's access to abortions. And the way that they had done it in this sneaky Louisiana law uh, was they had done something that seemed reasonable. They mandated that any doctor who was performing an abortion would have to have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals, right? Okay. So what does that mean exactly? Admitting privileges. So it just means that if a doctor is performing an abortion and an abortion, uh, at a facility that provides abortions, say Planned Parenthood, they would have to have admitting privileges at a nearby hospital. And some people might say, oh, well, that's reasonable. What if there's an emergency and that doctor would have to admit the woman? That's not what it was about at all, because people who try to restrict women's access to abortion don't care about women's health. So what it was really about was just making it harder for doctors to provide abortions. If that law had stood, there basically would have been a single abortion clinic left in the state of Louisiana, right? So this this, um, decision was before the Supreme Court. And I don't know about you, Whitney, but I thought this Supreme Court is not going to uphold the woman's right uh, to abortion. But Chief Justice John Roberts... He surprised everybody and he voted with the court's liberal justices and he rejected a legal argument that President Trump and conservative Republicans were making. Okay, so the majority decision in this case was written um, by Justice Stephen Breyer and joined by three of his liberal colleagues and then... Roberts wrote a concurring opinion, and Roberts basically said, "Look, there's a precedent, and it's called Roe, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make my ruling based on precedent." Now, people got super excited. I don't know about you, Whitney, but I felt very like pumped up about that. Mm-hmm. But Mary Ziegler, who is a law professor at Florida State University, um, has written a book. It's called Abortion and the Law in America. Roe v. Wade to the present. And it's sort of a review of abortion law since 1973. And she basically said um, in an article from The New Yorker that I've been picking some facts from by Isaac um, Schotner. So what the legal scholar Mary Ziegler says is don't be so excited that Justice Roberts was the swing vote here and basically ensured some continued protections for Roe, she said, "This is way too limited for us to be excited about." And Justice Roberts, basically, you know, we can't with with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh uh, on the court, we we can't count on Justice Roberts to continue to protect Roe v. Wade and women's right to abortion. And she she's basically saying, you know, don't get too excited about this. That, it, in her words. If Roberts can save face and still undo abortion rights, she says, he will probably do that. So we were excited about it in my house uh, because we we are pro-reproductive justice and pro-choice. And so, you know, it's interesting to think this through because we have been You know, Roe has basically, since it first, um, you know, since the the Supreme Court first decided in 1973 that a woman's right to choose was protected by the 14th Amendment, Roe has been under fire constantly. I mean, you live in Texas, right? What were the discussions around abortion when you were growing up? Yeah, that it was... that
1: it was terrible that you shouldn't do it. And, you know, in, at my high school, we had a daycare for children or for the students that went there for their children, which is great. You know, that is a, a form of support, but we're also talking about abstinence. And yet we have a very high rate of teen pregnancy and we're not talking about the other options that we have. One of them being abortion, Um, it just wasn't really talked about. And if it was, you were seen as basically a terrible human being for thinking that way. And I, I, yeah, and it's sad to me because I do feel as though, and I've had a lot of friends. I've had people very, very close to me who have all had abortions. I have never been pregnant. I haven't had an abortion. But I do absolutely love that I have the option that I get to choose what I do with my body and when I do that with my body and I get to choose what I want for my life, you know, like right? I could not imagine having a, a child even five years ago or eight years ago, even now it's a little like, Whoa, my life would completely change. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean and that, would yeah. Go yeah.
1: mm-hmm, yeah. on. <laughs> and would I, yeah. Yeah. And would I be willing? Am I ready for that step? Because I want to be able to show up in the best possible way that I can. Um, And so being able to have that that choice for me is uber important. And I know it was uber important for a lot of people. But yeah, growing growing up in South Texas, absolutely not. You're a terrible human being. And you would be basically socially, you know, ostracized
0: and pointed at. Oh, yeah. I mean... Grand Rapids, Michigan, it was very similar. I remember that a girl in my high school was sexually active, and we found that fascinating. Um, and we were judgmental about it. And then she ended up having an abortion, and we were fascinated and judgmental. But to her credit, she opened up my eyes and helped me understand one of the lessons that I learned, you know, having a feminist mom, which was. I mean, I remember when Roe v. Wade became the law of the land, and I remember what it meant to women that they could be in charge of their reproductive destiny. And it was a fight, just like having access to birth control was a fight that unmarried women didn't earn until relatively recently, historically, right? First, it was okay for married women to have access to birth control, but unmarried women didn't have access to birth control until I believe the late 60s or early 70s. We can put it in the show notes. Anyway, it was huge news in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I remember how it divided my community and many of the Catholic people in the neighborhood where I grew up were very upset about it. And I remember just my mother, just her delight, you know, that we had turned this corner and that women had access to, um, you know, a way to have one more way to control their own reproduction because, okay, now let's personalize this. I mean, I have had three abortions um, once when I was in graduate school and I was way too young to have a kid, um another time, you know, maybe ten years later, when i it was still not the right time in my life to have a kid, and birth control failed me. And then the third time, um I was into my sixth month of pregnancy, and the um baby, because I thought of her as a baby because I planned to keep her um died i had um there were I heard different reasons about why um one was that I had had a subclinical infection and that the baby died from that, another was that I had an incompetent cervix, which is such a weird term, and the um and or maybe it was both of those things right so mm-hmm. at that point in my reproductive career, which had spanned you know. My first abortion in my early 20s to at this point, I was maybe when I lost Daphne. I think I was forty five. Um, Daphne was that her name? Yeah, that was that was, gonna, I love that, that was gonna be the baby's name I know. and sometimes I call her dead Daphne because um, oh. I try to I know I try to like bring her into my language and remember her and stuff. Um, so, okay, I had had a very long reproductive career, right? From age 22, maybe when I had my first abortion, to age 44, when my choice was, they said, "This baby is dying. Do you want to? Do you want us to induce labor, and you go through labor, which I had been through twice before, um, and at the end, you will expel a dead fetus rather than a live baby, or do you want?" A surgical procedure. And the surgical procedure was maybe a little tricky and a little bit in a gray zone. Mm-hmm. Um, technically legal, but you know, there I was into my sixth month with the baby dying inside of me. And I said, There is no way. There are women who have the fortitude and they make the choice to deliver um, the dead fetus, go through labor, and I couldn't do that. Thank God I had the option to have this abortion um, because I don't know that I could have held on to my sanity if I had done it the other way. So, oh God. I can oh, imagine yeah. so. So after my very long reproductive career, you know, Abortion saved me three times, and I am in favor of reproductive justice for all women. Um, and, you know, I mean, we have to talk about the fact that many women would not have had the options that I had, right? Right. But so in 1994, a group of Black women took out an ad in the Washington Post, and they basically, you know, had got together, they called themselves um, women of African descent for reproductive justice. And they said, we really need like an intersectional approach to women's health care. And they drafted a statement and they addressed it to members of Congress. They got more than 800 signatures. And then they published the statement in this full ad uh, in 1994 in the Washington Post. And they basically said, You know, reproductive freedom is a life and death issue for many black women, and it deserves as much attention as other forms of freedom. That was what the statement said, right? Mm -hmm. So they were saying, look, we need healthcare reform to provide funding, you know, for the full range of reproductive services, prenatal care, contraception screening, you know, cancer treatment, STD screening. HIV and AIDS screening and support, and also for abortion, right? So it was like saying healthcare has to be anti-discriminatory. There have to be provisions. So, so these women in 1994, these Black women coined the term reproductive justice. And they often, often we use that term and we don't credit this group of women. But wow, like abortion is ultimately, this is such a timely moment to talk about it because look Whitney if abortion were illegal privileged white women would basically if it were illegal in the United States you know and you said I need an abortion I said well I would say like let's go to Canada let's go where we need to go to get you one right but mm-hmm. obviously obviously when you know GOP legislators go after abortion rights let's face it they're They're attacking the freedom of Black women and women of color very, you know, asymmetrically. These are the women who really stand to suffer the most, especially in these Southern poverty states, right?
1: No question. I mean, like the lack of access to abortion care, obviously, like really, it it harms those who are struggling financially, who already have like significant barriers to health care, you know, people of color, limited incomes. Like it's just, it's so crazy to me, you know, and and it's it's really heartbreaking.
0: Hey, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, it would help us a lot if you would leave a review.
1: Yeah. Leave a review, subscribe. We want to know how you guys felt about the episode. It really helps us out a lot to continue the success of the podcast and keep spreading our message.